Hello, my fellow project managers. Welcome, welcome to our discussion about the PMBOK Guide 7th edition. It's been a long time coming, and I would first of all like to give honor to whom honor is due. Those of you who have been working hard in the trenches, now you are a PMP, you are certified, and you're wondering, how am I going to make a transition from all the work that I just did using the PMBOK guide, sixth edition, using the agile practice guide, using the PMP exam content outline. How do I effectively make that transition from all that work to more work? And trust me, I understand. I have been through six PMBOK guides now. Six PMBOK guides. So you're dealing with someone who has been where you have. I absolutely understand what you mean when you say, Phil, I've had enough. <laughs> I'm frustrated with this change. I can't go on. But that, that is not what our disposition is going to be. All right? We're going to be calm. We're going to be cool. We're going to be collected. We're going to say, no big deal. You know, I like a quote from Miles Davis. He said, music is like food. You eat what you enjoy and you leave the rest. Pembok guy changes are like food. You eat what you like, you leave the rest. So I don't know if any of you were on my call last night, a Pembok guy, the PMP boss party so for the seventh edition. There are a lot of good things in the seventh edition that I did give PMI props for, right? I did give them a thumbs up for many, many of the uh, attributes and aspects, but there's some things that are not, you know, as good. And I was very honest with that. And I want to encourage those of you out there to be candid and honest. Candor is missing in a lot of businesses, in a lot of arms of professionalism. People want to be so correct that they don't want to be honest. Don't do that. Be honest. If it's garbage, it's garbage. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Okay? But today, we are going to take a look at the Pembok Guide 7th edition. Today is not a day for griping or for complaining about the 7th edition. No, 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 no. Today, this is a class for PMPs, okay? It's a class for you to be able to position yourself and your organization for success. It's a day where we look at the new and compare it to the old and ask the question, how do I make the shift from this? Should I make the shift from this? to this, okay? How am I gonna make the change from this to this, okay? I also will be answering the question, is this going to be replaced <laughs> by this? And the answer to that straight up is no. So welcome, welcome. Those of you, my PMP exam bosses, you know where to get into this meeting if you wanna join direct. Those of you on YouTube, welcome. If you have questions, 
just ask the question in the chat, okay? This is live on the 2nd of July, 2021, 105 p.m. Eastern, all right? So I just typed in hi into the chat box so that you know when this meeting is actually running. All right, so let's jump straight into it. Let's be perfectly clear, change for the better, change for the best. Kaizen is good, but change that is needless and not for the best. There's a term, I believe it's kaiaku or something like that. That's the opposite of Kaizen. You got to know that some change, tread carefully with it. So we're going to take a look at all of the chapters in the Pembok Guide 7th edition, but we're going to do an executive review, okay? An executive review. Adash, how are you doing? Good to see you. Adash, J-H-A, thanks for joining. Let's jump straight into it and begin taking a look at this book. Like I told you, this is not a gripe session. This is where I'm going to keep my personal opinions aside. We're going to take a look at the breakdown of this standard, okay? I understand our colleagues have been working to get something out. And I want to recognize that. And I know it's very hard to be on a panel with divergent opinions and to be able to come out with something eventually. All right? I understand that. And I want to acknowledge that. All right. You will also find in the seventh edition names of hundreds of PMPs, project management institute members, just like me, who took the time to comment on the draft. You'll find our names in there. Okay? So I want to acknowledge everyone's contribution. It's great. But talking about moving forward, let's address what is in this book. Okay, you ready? We are going to go step by step. I want you to open up your PMBOK guide, 7th edition. And I want to start by explaining at a very high level what the differences are between the PMBOK guide, 6th edition, and the PMBOK guide, 7th edition to get the best from this session, which again is for PMPs. Please, if you are getting ready for the PMBOK guide, sixth edition based exam, there is absolutely no reason for you to be listening to this or watching this. The reason is I don't want you to be confused, okay? If you're taking the current exam, please do not watch until you've gotten certified, then you can watch. All right, I expect the exam will be reflecting more of this stuff that's in the seventh edition. And by the way, there's a lot of overlap with some other publications of PMI, the sixth edition and the seventh edition. So there's absolutely no need for you to worry and think you're missing out by not watching. If you're getting ready for the current exam, do not watch. All right, hope I make myself perfectly clear. So let's begin this journey into the PMBOK Guide 7th edition. We're going to start off by taking a look at the 6th edition versus the 7th edition. The PMBOK Guide 6th edition has a section 
called the standard for project management. And a lot of folks don't understand that the standard for project management is really what the ANSI standard is. The knowledge area narrative that we see from you know, chapter four to 13, that's not the standard. So just be aware of that. If you need clarification about this, follow me to the sixth edition. I wanna show you where this is so it's perfectly clear what the changes are, all right? There's a section here called the standard for project management in the sixth edition. Okay, you see the ANSI logo there? This is on page 539. So from page 539, which is part two of the PEMBOK Guide 6th edition, all the way down to page uh, 635. You get that? 539 to 635. That is the standard I'm referring to. And that has a breakdown of initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing. Okay, so let's take a look here. PEMBOK Guide 6th Edition Breakdown. Initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing is what you have in the standard. Got it? Okay. The seventh edition takes this and gives you a new interpretation of the standard for project management. I see my friend Latoya has joined. Latoya, how are you? <laughs> Latoya says, please don't keep your personal opinions out of the discussion. They're relevant and usually right on point. Thank you, Latoya. I have about two and a half hours of video that I did last night that uh, has a lot of my personal opinions. So I, I know some folks, they just want to, but I'll, I'll, I'll add value where I can. All right. So the bottom line is this, the seventh edition takes project management and breaks it down like this. You've got an introduction. You've got a discussion about system for value delivery, and then it goes into project management principles. These project management principles are meant to replace initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing as being the standard for project management. So now the standard includes an introduction, system for value delivery, and these principles. One, stewardship, being a good steward on the project. Two, team, all about the team. Three, stakeholder. Four, value. Five, systems thinking. Six, leadership. Seven, tailoring. Eight, quality. Nine, complexity. 10, risk. 11, adaptability and resiliency. And 12, change. And I went over these yesterday. This is what the PEMBOK Guide, sixth edition, with the five process groups, now looks like in terms of the standard. Okay? So, while initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing is buried under a section known as methods, uh, models, artifacts, something to that degree, it has disappeared from the forefront of being the standard for project management. All right? 
That's part one. So in your company, if someone asks you the question, has initiating planning and all that stuff gone away? It's not gone away. It is buried there in the seventh edition, but it is not emphasized as a standard. It is buried in there as one of the models through which you can manage a project. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Let's move on. The next drastic change is what we call a guide to the project management body of knowledge. And to be quite honest, most of us, when we talk about the PMBOK guide, <laughs> this is what we actually see as the PMBOK guide, but it's not. It's not this piece that's the standard. It's part of the project management body of knowledge guide, but it's, it's not the standard. And I'm talking about the knowledge areas, okay? Knowledge areas have been very useful in explaining to people what project management is. So a guide to the project management body of knowledge, sixth edition, this is what we have in there. Introduction, project environment, the role of the project manager, and then it goes smack dab into the knowledge areas, integration, scope, schedule, cost, quality, resources, communication, risk procurement, and stakeholders. And that's how we know the guide, okay? Are you ready for this? Seventh edition, it takes your understanding of the 10 knowledge areas that, by the way, has been in existence for a very long time, and it transforms it into this new guide, Project Performance Domains. And the project performance domains are, let's zoom in so you can see them real well, stakeholders, team, development approach and life cycle, planning, project work, delivery, measurement, and uncertainty. So I want you to reconcile the knowledge areas that you see and the new performance domains. In other words, these knowledge areas are no longer the meat of a guide to the project management body of knowledge. Instead, it's these performance domains, all right? Like I said, I'm going to keep personal opinion out of it, but that's what it is. So now you understand the breakdown at a high level. You know what the meat of the PMBOK Guide 6th edition is, and you now know what the meat of the PMBOK Guide 7th edition is. Now, there are a few more pieces that I should uh, throw in here. There is a chapter on tailoring and a chapter on models methods and artifacts. And that is where you're going to find a casual, if I may add, mention of this. You're going to find it inside models, methods, and artifacts as the second model mentioned. Okay. Or method, whichever one they put it in. I believe it's 
method, I think. We're going to take a look at all of this stuff eventually anyway, but let me just really quickly refer to it so that those of you in speed listen mode are going to be able to see where this is. Okay, I believe this may be in the methods. Let's see. Not in the models, but in the methods. So let me see. This is on page 171. So if you want to see where this is mentioned in a very casual and lackluster fashion, if I may add, this is on page 171 of the seventh edition. Okay. You find mention of it and it, it reads, project management processes can be organized into logical groupings of project management inputs, tools, and techniques and outputs that are tailored to meet the needs of the organization, stakeholders, and project. Groups of processes are not project phases. The project, the process groups interact within each phase of a project lifecycle. And then on the next page, it goes into initiating, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing what it is. It says these process groups are independent of the delivery approach. Application areas such as marketing, information services, and accounting or industry. In a process-based approach, the output of one process generally becomes an input to another. So what you can infer from this discussion, my friends, is that the PMI is not saying forget about the process groups. Okay. It is the way the information is presented and emphasized that we can conclude it is less important based on their presentation of the material. That's what it comes across as. Is that reality? No. For that reason, I want to urge those of you that have project management offices, PMOs, program management offices, you're doing really well with your predictive projects, my friends in construction, okay? My friends in the area of design, mechanical engineering, automation. Stay the course of what works for you. Do not allow this to perturb you or throw you off. Instead, be curious to understand the differences that are in this book. But I want to give you another layer of perspective. And that is to understand the world of Agile. Because the seventh edition does not really do that, believe it or not. Agile is so buried in the seventh edition you may as well read the sixth, where it is emphasized in concepts, trends, tailoring, and considerations for agile. There is no topic here that is blatantly agile. It is so agnostic that it actually loses its character. Okay? So for those of you that have PMOs, you're in construction, you're in some heavy machinery, heavy process type industry, I want to encourage you to read the Agile Practice Guide and read the manifesto, pages eight and nine, and begin to apply that thinking to your projects. I didn't say that development approach. Thinking is different from development, okay? You could still be largely predictive, 
but agile in your thinking, and it will take you levels above as PMI's research has shown. I've presented it many times on the channel that organizations that are agile in their thinking but predictive in their delivery are better, far better, far more efficient, greater productivity than those organizations that are predictive in their thinking and in their delivery, all right? So you've got to be agile. That, that's the summary of, of what I'm saying. Your PMO, don't start running all over the place because we are not doing away with the five process groups. I really want to emphasize that. Page 171 in the seventh edition, it lists the five process groups as one of the methods, okay? Oh, let's see, let's, let me get this straight, one second. Okay, so they list it as process groups, but it's under models. Okay, let's get it straight. It's under models, okay. So that's models, good. So it's a model, okay? We call it a framework, it's a framework, whatever. Whatever you wanna call it, just remember page 171 in the Pembok Guide 7th edition. Page 171. Okay? So go back, tell your PMOs, it's okay, we're not forgetting about the five process groups. It's just not emphasized. The current standard is not built on it, but it doesn't disqualify it. Okay, great stuff. All right, let's move on to our next topic here. So in the sixth edition, you got a bunch of appendices, the glossary and the index. In the same token, you got that in the seventh edition as well. There's a lot in the appendix, the glossary and the index. In fact, if you take a look at the count, the page count, the page count, it actually bumps up the page count to 370, it's pretty significant, pretty significant, okay? I also want to emphasize, uh, just so you don't get lost in uh, the details here, we have the standard for the seventh edition right here, numbered differently, Okay, you're going to see a different numbering. Okay, than this. Okay, so if we're taking a look at the standard for project management on the seventh edition, it goes from page one to page 60, hold on a second, round about 67, okay? So this is number one to 67, all right? So it's like having two documents in one. If you take a look at the guide to the Project Management Body of Knowledge for the seventh edition, that goes from page one to roughly page 274. So when you're going through it, 
be aware that you got two different numbering schemes, all right? This one was just numbered straight on from page one to 756, all right? When you really boil it down, you take a look at this plus this, and you take a look at the PDF. The PDF just shows 370 pages for the seventh edition. So if you really wanted to get a perspective of, you know, ratio, 370, 370 to 756, you could say that the new PMBOK guide is about 0.48 that of the sixth edition. In other words, 48%. So we could say there's been a 52% reduction. They cut it in half. Okay, I applaud them for that. It's good to, to make it lean and mean. I'm, I appreciate the, the less pages, thank goodness. All right. So be aware of that breakdown, okay? So the summary on this page is if you have a project management office and you're worried about initiating and planning and executing, monitoring and controlling and closing no longer being relevant, it's still relevant. Now, a lot of what we had in the sixth edition, by virtue of the tools and a lot of the things that are used, PMI is not saying that this is now useless. They just made a mistake in the presentation in my mind, because how do you go from this to this? How, how do you make the transition? How? Stakeholders is understandable. Team is explainable. Development approach and life cycle, we had that in chapter two. Now you just throw planning in here. It has no rhyme or reason because planning cuts across everything. So I know the question is going to be, but how do you plan? Well, planning in the seventh edition is broken down. And I'll just use these tiny little arrows to show you so that you can uh, imagine how it is. Planning is broken out into... Get a smaller arrow. Planning is broken down into the usual tiny little bits that you would expect. Okay. And, and this is just for example. For example. So when you when you get to this chapter on uh, planning, you would see, of course, schedule talked about in some places. You'd find cost mentioned in some places. You'd find scope mentioned in some places and things such as that, okay? They're not broken down like knowledge areas, but as you kind of go around the perimeter, you're gonna find these things rolled up into different sections or explained to some degree. So a lot of the meat of the sixth edition that we had, you know, 225, 10, 12, one, we had 25 in planning. Well, that's where half of the PMBOK guide is. So what they've done is they've taken a lot of that planning stuff, which cut across all of the knowledge areas, right? And they have unceremoniously 
assigned it to planning in the seventh edition, okay? Project work, delivery, measurement, and uncertainty. I mean, those cut across all the knowledge areas. So all they've done is taken the knowledge areas, broken them apart, and reconfigured them. There really is nothing new in this. And that's why for you as a PMP, when you take a look at the new breakdown in a guide to the project management body of knowledge, you should be able to find your way around it pretty well. You shouldn't be confused or you shouldn't be uh, thrown against the wall that you cannot present this to your organization. Is what I'm saying making sense? As a PMP, you should be able to break down to your firm that all the stuff in the sixth has been reconfigured in appearance. It's still there in nooks and crannies of the seventh. Now, the ITTOs, those have been broken out again from putting them into processes. In fact, there's no process configuration in this. What they've done, to give you a good idea of what has happened, they've taken the ITTOs, okay, the tools, you'll now see them referred to as methods. Okay, you find some of the tools, a handful of them being referred to as methods. And you will also find the inputs and outputs. You'll find those being referred to as artifacts. So you're going to find mention of this in the artifacts, okay? So a lot of the stuff that you knew in the past is still there. It's just scattered across different sections. Let me show you an example, okay? So when you take a look at the tools and techniques, okay, tools and techniques, we have two broad categories. We have data gathering and analysis methods. Uh, we have estimating methods. We have meeting and event methods. And we have other methods. Okay? And these are under methods. Okay? We have a smattering of uh, tools and techniques that made it in here. We have alternatives analysis, assumptions and constraints analysis, benchmarking, business justification analysis, just talk about decision-making as far as project selection is concerned, right? MPV, IRR, cost-benefit ratio, you know, benefit-cost ratio. Um, all that stuff is here. Check sheets, cost of quality, decision tree analysis, earned value analysis, EMV, expected monetary value, forecasting, influence diagrams, life cycle assessment, make or buy analysis, probability and impact matrix, process analysis, regression analysis, root cause analysis, sensitivity analysis, simulation, stakeholder analysis, SWOT analysis, trend analysis, value stream mapping, variance analysis, what if scenario analysis. And then on the next page, we have affinity grouping, analogous estimating, function points, multi-point estimating, parametric estimating, relative estimating, single point estimating, story point estimation, wideband Delphi, of course, you know, you're planning poker, backlog refinement, bidder conference, change control board, daily standup, iteration review, iteration planning, kickoff, lessons learned planning, 
project closeout, project review, release planning, retrospective, risk review, status, steering committee. And then we have other methods, impact mapping, modeling, net promoter score, prioritization schema, and time box. Boom, just got done with all of those tools and techniques. That is hilarious. So tools and techniques, you had hundreds of them in previous edition. Now you can see we only have a few. I see my friend Brittany has joined. Brittany, how are you? How are you doing? And what is your impression regarding these techniques and tools being presented in this way? Hey, Phil. Um, yes. So it's much more streamlined, in my opinion. I, I, I like it. <laughs> Isn't um, it more streamlined? It, it is. Uh, they just took a handful. And instead of uh, showing you hundreds and hundreds, I think you got at most maybe even maybe less than 40, I think. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to help um, PMP candidates because a lot of the bottlenecks that I see is just there's such an overwhelming amount of information, especially in tools and techniques. And yeah. then I forgot which pages it is. It's like in the 600s in the 6th edition. Yeah, the tools 686 and to 694. Yeah. You see, you trained me well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, that that section in the 7th edition is going to be le- much less uh, intimidating to students. Exactly. So. That is, that is one I gave them points for, yes. So it's interesting to see how they've dismantled them from being latched onto specific uh, processes, and they've now just put them kind of like use as you see fit. But on page 183, have, have you downloaded it, Brittany? I haven't. Um, I need to go on and do that. I just saw yeah. you post about it yesterday, yeah, so I'll go on and do that. Download it and and let me know what you think. So the table that you're talking about, 686 to 694, is now on page 182 and 183. And it's it's just two pages. (laughs) Um, I think it's actually better that they put it in the front of the book because you get to it sooner. Um, and I know it shouldn't, but it'll place more emphasis on it. Um, and it'll, pay, it'll make more people pay attention to it. Because I, I can't tell you how many students I talk to and they don't even go past the back of the, like <laughs> the, the end of what the closing process group in yeah. the back. And I'm like, there's all that other stuff too. So this is good. Very nice, Brittany. Thanks for your perspective. I appreciate that. And uh we're just taking a look at the high level. I'm going to go into a little bit more detail. And then you're going to be able to better help people who are getting ready for the test, I believe, somewhere 2022. I've been telling folks, if you're taking the test in the next six months, don't read this book. I've told folks, don't be on this call <laughs> because there's a lot of other stuff and a lot of other configurations that is likely to throw people off. So I've been trying to encourage people not to uh, be on this call. Adash says, since the pages have been dropped by half, does that mean PMBOK 7 doesn't explain topics in that much detail as PMBOK 6 used to? That is correct, Adash. I believe that the PMI's perspective here is going to be one of, it's a standard, it's not a textbook. So go read whatever you want to read elsewhere, but we're going to just explain at a high level. And that's what they did. Just take a look at the five process groups. It's barely a paragraph. It's barely half a page, you see. And that seems to be their disposition across the board. Can I make a comment on this too, Phil? Sure. I think that since in general, the PMI is leaning more towards um, people 
um, and, and people engagement. You know, it's less about specifics, like you said, like the, the, the standard, the formula, but it's more about working together as a team and honestly making your own um, perceptions based on the loose guide that they give you. And then, you know, using that to work on your individual projects in the real world with your teams. Exactly. That, that has been their disposition to be less uh, prescriptive about what you should do and to give you like a blank template. And, and while that is good, I see a lot of firms that have built their processes around these previous documents. I see a lot of them now thinking, oh, all of this is not good. No, that's not what PMI is saying. PMI is not saying forget about the sixth edition. They're just presenting the information differently, you know, and like I said in the very beginning, I'm going to keep my personal opinions out because I did a lot of that yesterday. And I know people just want to know what is new. So a lot of what they've done is streamline, make it less, cut it in two, and just give you the bare minimum. There's a lot of stuff in what you see on the screen called Standards Plus that exists outside the view of the seventh edition right here pmi standards plus digital content platform so for templates and tools and some additional training and lessons they actually have a pretty good platform to begin putting the extra stuff they did not present in the seventh edition okay suraj says pmi has gone for lean methodologies process improvement. It's good that the contents are more reduced. Absolutely. I have absolutely nothing against reducing the volume. It was a beast and it did need to be reduced. So go on to PMI Standards Plus, take a look at what they've got there and you'll see that it's a pretty good platform. If we've got time, I might review it with you. All right. So let's take a look at what is here. We've got links via the models, methods and artifacts section. A lot of stuff. Um, platform incorporates content from all PMI standards, as well as content developed specifically for the platform. And when I say a boatload, there's, a, there's all sorts of things in that platform. Uh, content reflects how to, in actual practice, uh, including emerging practices. So they've made it very clear that there's going to be a lot added to this body of information, just not in the physical book, but online. All right. So those are the huge monumental differences. Like I said, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, okay? I want to speak specifically to my friends in government. Hey, your agency is using the five process groups. Don't get goofy now. It's working for you. Use it, okay? The 10 knowledge areas, it's working for you. That structure and configuration is working for you. Use it. The Agile Practice Guide. I, I really want to make this clear because I know a lot of folks don't know this. The Agile Practice Guide has got references to the knowledge areas. So if in doubt, I want you to go to pages 90, 91 forward. It goes on till about page 95. Take a look at the description of how to practice these areas of knowledge from an agile lens. And that will help you if you're going into a uh, hybrid model.
Okay. I see someone else joined. Hey, Keith, how are you, my buddy? Keith, what do you think about all of this? <laughs> Let me know, Keith. Brittany asked a question. Oh, can you hear me? Hey, Sorry. Keith, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. It's good to hear your voice. Well, what are your what are your thoughts? Have you downloaded it? I haven't downloaded it yet. I, that's why I jumped on today. I was like, I want to see what's happening. You know, I trust there you. Go. Know, so. um, <laughs> I do see that. I can see how the test has changed, and I can see that there's kind of reflecting that change, just about people and process. Like, oh yeah, know. absolutely. And and that's a good point, Keith. And to jump on what you just said and Brittany's question. When is a test changing? The test has already changed to reflect a lot of what you're seeing in the seventh edition. It changed on the 2nd of January. They just didn't label it as changes based on the seventh edition. But what is on the current exam, a lot of it, it aligns to some of the topics in the seventh edition. But this is very important. If any of you non-PMPs are eavesdropping <laughs> because you think you're going to be missing out, you're actually not missing out. Let me just make it very clear that the current PMP exam is not based on a PMBOK guide entirely or the Agile Practice Guide entirely. No, it's based on a number of documents and books and bodies of knowledge. So if anyone is looking for that perfect time when the exam becomes seventh edition focused. You already missed it. It's, it's already in that vein. Okay. Something else to mention is that the PMI have a study guide. Did you folks know, Keith, Brittany, did you folks know PMI has a study guide for the current exam? That is not PMBOK guide. That is not, did you know? I is did. it different from the exam content outline? Yep, different from the exam content outline. PMI published. Oh, no, I didn't know. I'll, I'll go in and study that thing because that can help some of my students too. Well, the thing is you're going to have to pay a pretty penny for it. It was produced by a company which will remain unnamed at this point. But to be quite honest, it's a really bad guide. It's not good. It's not any good, but it exists. So here's the point. Because they already have a study guide and content for the exam that changed in January, do you really think PMI is going to spend the funds and the effort changing an already poorly done study guide that could barely effectively reflect the sixth edition to the seventh? No, they're not. And the point I'm making is the exam ain't changing. It's already changed. So what PMI have mentioned in their literature is normally all throughout the year, they are making smaller increments to borrow from their agile practice guide lingo. They are introducing smaller increments of change all throughout the year. And that's why one moment you hear someone say, oh, I got this on my exam. And then you hear someone else say, what are you talking about? That doesn't exist on the exam. It's because it is like, I would like to use the Kanban analogy. Think about streams of value or streams of increments just coming through the pipeline. You know, so anyone looking out for a particular cutoff point, they've already missed the boat. Second of January, PMI, they're not going to tell you, oh, by the way, this is based on it. Like Keith said, the people focus, we already see it on the exam. Is what I'm saying making sense, Brittany? 
Yes, it, it is. I just, you know, I took the old exam, so. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Had- yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the question. And thank you, Keith, for weighing in there. Did, did, did that make sense, Keith, what I'm saying? No, it, it makes sense. But I would say that I, mean, the, I took the original, t- the older test as well. Ah. And that test, it was, um, I feel like you could, uh, I think I think it's easier to study for, I would say, because it was more, this one, you don't know what you're getting. You may get a test that's <laughs> a whole chameleon. bunch of or a whole bunch of waterfalls. So you have to do the whole swath of the knowledge area now. You Very true. One area, you know. Very true, Keith. And I remember your lessons learned. You were one of my outlier students who said it was not a, a 75-25, was it, for you? It was more predictive, right? There was more predictive substance? Yeah, mine was more, mostly predictive. It was probably 60% predictive. I there you go. And that is a very good lesson for our PMPs who are watching uh, to know that everyone's exam has a different titration of these things. And I, I truly believe, you know, judging from what Keith just said, if you take a look at the seventh edition, let me, let me just go back and show you. If you take a look at the seventh edition, it is actually camouflaged to still be, in my mind, maybe even 70, 30 in favor of predictive. Because there's so much stuff talked about in the seventh edition that is of a predictive nature compared to the agile coverage. Agile is covered pretty weakly. And there's not a lot of emphasis in my mind. Now, in trying to make it agnostic, they've lost whatever agile presence they were looking to put in. It's not in the forefront. So in my mind, if I was taking a look at this, I would say uh, Pembroke Guide, sixth edition. Let me just give you this very interesting comparison. And uh, this, you, when you folks take a look at it, actually, you let me know what you think, uh, Keith and Brittany. But in my mind, I think Pembroke Guide... Uh, Uh, Sixth edition is like 90% predictive, in my mind, and about 10% agile. I would agree with that. Yeah? Yeah. like that. Yeah. But in saying that, though, I took the test based on the sixth edition, and I still had, I would say, about 20 to 25% agile-related content on my my exam. Very good point, Brittany. And, And that is because the PMI they added the Agile Practice Guide, remember? So they had this, you know, if you look at the hundred and something pages, then it now makes it an 80-20 balance when you add the Agile Practice Guide. So yeah, that that does make sense. Now, if you take a look at the seventh edition, from, from my limited review over the past 20, not even up to 24 hours, I would say it's 70% predictive pretty much in my mind. There's a lot of predictive stuff, stuff you would never ever hear in the world of Agile. You say those things in the world of Agile, they're gonna look at you like, where are you from? You know, Where did you fall from, Phil? And 30% Agile, in, in my estimation of things, if I was gonna be probably more analytical, I would say 60% Agile, uh, 60% predictive, I beg your pardon, uh, 10% hybrid. And uh, I could actually be a little bit more, a little bit more liberal with my hybrid, uh, and I would say thirty percent um, agile. So that that kind of aligns with the exam that Keith took, pretty much. It it has 
agile and hybrid, you could say it was 50. But if you look at predictive and the elements of predictive that are in hybrid, you could say it was 60%. So kind of kind of like that. that that's how I see it. So are you folks, are you folks going to download it and read it? Because this is meant to help you digest it better. <laughs> yes, I, I plan to. You will? What about you, Keith? I, yes, I will. I'm going to do cool, it. Cool. Well, hopefully this can help you. All right. So now that we're done talking about the high-level changes, uh, we're going to go now more into some of the depth. So let's take a look. We got some questions from our friends. Uh, <laughs> Adash says, yep, I do find the ITTO is a beast in Pembokai. It's difficult to grasp, for real. Um, and Suraj says, yes, the ITTOs are very much difficult. <laughs> yes, also they are repeated, Suraj. Absolutely agree. What is the best way to tackle ITTOs? Uh, look for a physical model of the tool or technique. Do it. Like if it is something that you do, like uh, MCDA, for example, multi-criteria decision analysis, you create a matrix. Do it yourself. If it's a product analysis, uh, do it yourself. If it's an output or input, look for an example. I, I usually send my students this link. Uh, I know Brittany and Keith, you folks, you already know the link. It's the CDC link. Uh, check, check out that link. If you want to see an example of a, an output or an input, look at that link. Okay. Uh, Suraj says, I think we can refer to the seventh edition. It will be more easy as compared to the sixth edition. Um, it is not as comprehensive and it's a little bit confusing to be honest. So is it, is it smaller? Yes. Is it more confusing as far as the presentation of the content to train project management? Yes, it's rather, it's rather confusing. And that's why I'm doing this session so that when you train it, you are going to train it using your own curriculum. Okay. You're going to train it from the lens that works best for your company. Some of you, your, your company is going to say no. We just want to go agile. Then in that case, look for another solution. Train them on some of the principles, perhaps. Uh, but just be aware that there are better principles, in my mind, in the Agile Practice Guide from the Agile Manifesto. Okay? Uh, Adash says, for covering Agile, is Agile Practice Guide enough? Good question. The Agile Practice Guide is definitely not enough. Um, so out of the companies in the world who use Agile, over 70% of them use Scrum, and therefore you need to read the Scrum Guide by Ken Schwaber and Jeff Sutherland. Absolutely read it. Um, just Google or search on YouTube, uh, Prazion uh, Scrum Guide Audio. We have a 40-minute audio thereabouts of reading through the Scrum Guide. It's only 13 pages. It's a very straightforward read. I think it's even less than that, maybe 20 minutes. Take a look, read the Scrum Guide. Right, and um, I would say get hooked into the source. You know, go to Ken's website, uh, take a look at his practice tests, and test your understanding of Scrum. Right, to make sure that you're thinking right about Scrum. Reginald says, if I study the sixth edition, will that be sufficient to pass the test? Not just the sixth edition, Reginald. You need to study the sixth edition, the Agile Practice Guide, the PMP Exam Content Outline. And also, I would say the Scrum Guide and other material like a reliable study guide. We have reliable study guides, a on, and we give our students that. We also give our students a dose of hybrid. 
So in the next number of months, Roy and I have a publication coming out that will help you see all of this, all the stuff, be it seventh edition, sixth edition, Scrum, Agile, all that stuff. We are coming out with an Agile slash predictive slash hybrid presentation of the content. And it's broken down in a very agnostic way by domain. Okay, and it's, it's got questions, it's got exercises. That would help because a lot of our students, Keith, you know this, you, you w- watched all those videos, you were in the class when Roy and I created these hybrid thinking uh, videos, weren't you, Keith? I was, and they were uh, extremely valuable to me past because honestly, um, I don't think I would have if I didn't watch those videos like two or three times. Wow. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. And thanks for your lessons learned as well. I know that those lessons learned have helped a lot of folks who are getting ready for the test. So why don't we jump in to talk about the meat? Here is the meat. Chapter one. Let's talk about chapter one now. And we're talking about chapter one in the standard for project management. Okay. So um, I don't know if you folks caught the numbering. The numbering is different in this PMBOK guide. It's broken down into the standard for project management, and then we have the guide to the project management body of knowledge. So right now, I'm looking at the very first page in the first section, okay? Be aware that they're going to be two page ones, two page twos, two page threes, okay? I want to make this perfectly clear. So let me, let me zoom in uh, for a second, So you can see this, the standard for project management. This is the first section and it's numbered from uh, number one, page one, all the way to page 60 thereabouts, okay? Then you have a second section, which is a guide to the project management body of knowledge. That is section two, and it's numbered from page one to like 171, something to that effect, okay? And there are a lot of Roman numeral uh, numbered uh, pages for the first section. And that brings the total of pages to 370. So it's not as small as, as you think. It's, it's like almost two and a half times the Agile Practice Guide, okay? It's still smaller, it's better than 756 pages, okay? But just be aware, it's not super small. It has some substance still, okay? So let's take a look at the very first section and introduction, all right? so. It's called the standard, again, the standard for project management. That's where we're starting off. Let's go there. All right. So it reads, the standard for project management identifies project management principles that guide the behaviors and actions of project professionals and other stakeholders who work on or engage with projects. And it's broken down into a number of tiny little pieces, which we'll take a look at. Going straight into the second chapter, the second chapter is titled A System for Value Delivery. So if you're with me, just go on to page seven. All right. There are a number of things talked about here, and I'm I'm just giving you the top of the waves, overarching ideas. The first piece is about creating value. Think about it. What is a project meant to do? It's meant to deliver a product, service, or result that generates enough value to be justified in the first place. But when we think about value, think about value as the net 
quantifiable benefits that you're getting from the project. So in order to get value, there must be some benefit. And these benefits, they're talked about exhaustively in the PEMBOK Guide 6th edition, goodwill, brand recognition, uh, monetary assets, stockholder equity, things like that. So it says, this section describes how projects operate within a system to produce value for organizations and their stakeholders. It says, projects exist within a larger system. This standard uses the term organization when referring to government agencies, enterprises, contractual arrangements, and so on. And it talks about value being identified, whether in a portfolio, whether in a project, uh, whether in a program. Okay, and, and that's part of the discussion about value. And then it goes into uh, information flow and a lot more stuff here. But let's go to the next overarching point. 2.2, and excuse my cobwebs, remember this is less than 24 hours, so I put this together pretty ad hoc. All right, so let's go through it again. 2.2 is organizational governance systems, and it says, this section describes how governance supports a system for value delivery. So who, who remembers the definition for governance? I'm taking you way back to your PMP, huh? Governance is the framework within which authority is exercised, according to Pemba Guide 6th edition. So when we talk about governance, just remember, it's a framework for which authority is exercised. So let's read. It says, the governance system works alongside the value delivery system to enable smooth workflows, manage issues, and support decision-making. Governance systems provide a framework with functions and processes that guide activities. It's basically it. Just remember the definition. Governance is the framework within which authority is exercised, whether at the project level, at the organizational level, and what have you. Let's move on to 2.3. 2.3 is functions associated with projects. People drive project delivery. They do so by fulfilling functions necessary for the project to run effectively. Now, let me just give you this take straight up. This view in 2.3 is largely from a predictive or at best hybrid lens. And the reason is this. The very first one talks about providing oversight and coordination. People in this function help the project team achieve the project objectives typically by orchestrating the work of the project. Now, in a predictive world, orchestrating is done by the project manager. Yes, yes, yes. But in an agile world, it is done by the team. So talking about functions associated with projects, we're really talking about integration on page 13, okay? The next one says, present objectives and feedback. People in this function contribute perspectives, insight, and clear direction from customers and end users. We could say product owner, we could say team members, and so on. The next one on page 14 uh, it says facilitate and support. Now we're talking about servant leadership, scrum masters, some project managers on, on ag agile projects that are more uh, agile in nature, but with a predictive component. And then it says perform work and contribute insights. That's the team, obviously. Apply expertise, provide business direction and insight, provide resources and direction, functional heads and people like that. And then we have maintain governance. Okay, 
And however you use the word governance, governance is a pretty stern word. It's not a word you come across typically in the world of agile. That's why we have to tread carefully using that word. And I, I said yesterday, that is where you can lose a lot of agile audience. Some of these uh, roles that are being mentioned here um, in the world of agile, it's just team, 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 team. World of Scrum is just Scrum team, Scrum team, Scrum team. All right. All right. Let's go on to 2.4, the project environment. Projects exist and operate within internal and external environments. The bottom line is this, enterprise environmental factors, internal and external. Okay. And OPAs. So they talk about internal environment. They've done away with the term enterprise environmental factors for the most part. They just say internal environment and external environment. In internal environment, bear in mind that your beloved OPAs, huh? <laughs> your, your, your assets, your data assets, your governance documentation, all that stuff, they've just shuffled it into internal. No more stock mention of OPAs, okay? Then if you go to the next page, external environment, we have marketplace conditions, social, regulatory, and so on. And that, that is really code for your external EEFs. All right, and that is on page 18. Let's go to 2.5, product management considerations. It says, the disciplines of project program, project and product management are becoming more interlinked. While portfolio program and product management are beyond scope of this standard, Understanding each discipline and the relationships between them provides useful context for projects whose deliverables are products. So they haven't forgotten about their product friends. They've tried to give some emphasis here. And on page 19, they have a sample product life cycle. And they're showing how the life cycle of a product, it has a tangent of events. So they give you a little graph here and it, it shows you the peaks in the life of a product. And it shows uh, how different projects, project one, project two, project three, this is all product life, right? Throughout the life of a product Case in point, Flash, now defunct, no longer, no longer looked at as a product that is in operation, right? Flash went through a series, a smattering of increments and projects to make it better, but the security just didn't cut it. And then it eventually got down to project N, and that was the final, and that was the end of the product life. So they've got introduction of the product, the growth of the product, the maturity, and you can see the peak right here kind of is in that zone, and then decline or retirement of the product. And that's a sample product life cycle. All right, and that's pretty much uh, it. You know, it talks about um, product management can exist at different levels, program management within a product life cycle, project management within a product life cycle and product management within a program. So here's the summary. These projects, they could exist individually or they could be part of a project. Uh, they could be part of a program or part of a portfolio. That's all they're saying. 
All right, and that again is on page 19. Okay, and that's the end of chapter two. All right, let's go on to chapter three. Chapter three is where some of the fun begins. All right. All right, Reginald says, when will you let everyone know about the event? Which event is that, Reginald? All right, let's go into chapter three. Chapter three. Chapter three is all about these project management principles. And you've heard me speak about these principles. And I, I said, PMI, why didn't you just take the agile manifesto principles? They are more far reaching, more profound in thought and in construction. You should have just taken them. But no, they have their own principles. Let's take a look at them. One, be a diligent, respectful, and caring steward says stewardship encompasses responsibilities within and external to the organization. Stewardship is all about integrity, care, trustworthiness, compliance. A holistic view of stewardship considers financial, social, technical, and sustainable environmental awareness. In other words, you've been given these resources to take care of, this responsibility to head, to lead, do it well. That's the summary. Integrity, care, trustworthiness and compliance. The next principle says, create a collaborative project team environment. Projects are delivered by project teams. Project teams work within organizational and professional cultures and guidelines, often establishing their own local culture. In other words, Agile Practice Guide, page 49, page 50, talking about team structures, social contract, team contract, all that stuff is going to come into this discussion. Right off the bat on page 29, they mentioned team agreements. Like I said, page 49.50 in the Agile Practice Guide. They talk about organizational structures, and they don't go off on the deep end talking about matrix, functional, projectized, project-oriented, and so on. And then they talk about processes that teams use. They talk about authority, accountability, responsibility, right? Accountability is ultimately answerable. Responsibility means you're the doer. Accountability means passing the buck stops here. Responsibility means you are doing. Let's take a look at the next chapter here, or the next section. It's stakeholders, and it states, effectively engage with stakeholders. Engage stakeholders proactively and to the degree needed to contribute to project success and customer satisfaction. Stakeholders influence projects, performance, and outcomes. Project teams serve other stakeholders by engaging with them. Stakeholder engagement proactively advances value delivery. If you go into the details, it says stakeholders can affect pretty much, just think about it like the knowledge areas, right? Stakeholders can affect the overall success. I often say success on a project. You could say fitness for use, conformance to requirements, you could say on schedule and budget, but to be quite honest, customer satisfaction trumps all of those. So if your stakeholder does not see your project as a success, it is not a success. Page 32, it says, by defining success factors and participating in the evaluation of success. So those are some of the big things stakeholders do. The next one is value. Focus on value. <laughs> I mean... Isn't that just so evident in white elephant projects you see? Case in point, a firm I was in, we came out with this deliverable only to find out 
the deliverable was not being used. Why are you not using the system? Oh, uh, there's another business unit in New York that have a very similar system. It does exactly the same thing. We prefer to use that. What? We just wasted a bunch of money on a system that is a white elephant project. The project's already been done. So that's focusing on value. If you're really focusing on value, you want to ask, what value does it add? Has something similar already been built? How can we make a case for this thing? All right. So it says value is the ultimate indicator of project success. That project was a failure because no one used the system. Values can be realized. Value can be realized throughout the project, at the end of the project, or after the project is complete. You already know that when we talk about value on a project, we, well, in agile circles, the code name for the product owner is chief value officer. The product owner should be all up in value. Is it going to add value? Leave it on the backlog. Is it not? Don't do it. How much value is it going to add? Minuscule value. What is the risk? High risk, minuscule value, all the way down to the bottom. All the way down to the bottom of that backlog. We want to do high value, high priority stuff. High value, high priority, low risk. That's your low-hanging fruit. So that's some of the mindset you need to be thinking about when we talk about value. Let's go on to number five, systems thinking. Recognize, evaluate, and respond to system interactions. It says, recognize, evaluate, and respond to the dynamic circumstances within the surrounding and, pro surrounding, uh, and surrounding the project in a holistic way to positively affect project performance. Here's a summary. Projects do not exist in a vacuum. Projects exist within a system. And you need to understand the forces at play in that system, whether you're looking at the immediate system, the organization, or a wider system, marketplace, or a wider system, even wider than that, the geographic location. However you want to identify it, you should think about your project being in a system. And you should also think about your project being a system within system. So think about a system of systems. It says a project is a system of interdependent and interacting domains of activities. Systems thinking entails thinking, taking a holistic view of how project parts interact with each other and with external systems. Get it? A system within a system. Systems are constantly changing. Being responsive to system interaction allows project teams to leverage positive outcomes. That's the summary. And bear in mind, this is talked about in chapter two of the sixth edition. The next one says, demonstrate leadership behaviors. Now this one, I'm gonna keep my personal opinions out because you know I am a leadership junkie. I will not comment much on this, but I'll just read the high level. This is gonna be for another day when I can sink my teeth into it. It says, demonstrate and adapt leadership behaviors to support individual and team needs. Effective leadership promotes project success and contributes to positive project outcomes. Leadership is different than authority. That is true. Effective leaders adapt their style to the situation. Effective leaders recognize differences in motivation among project team members. Uh, here's a trivia question. I know some of you are getting ready for your PMP exam. You actually shouldn't be here, but which leadership style is that? Effective leaders recognize differences in motivation. I wonder if you remember that one. Leaders demonstrate desired behavior 
in areas of honesty, integrity, and ethical conduct. I like the fact they called leadership out. I do think, however, leadership has been covered in a very robust way in the sixth edition that just off the bat, looking at this, uh, this it does not do like the sixth edition. Let's read page 42. It says, when senior managers suffer conflict over priorities, neutral facilitation helps more than detailed recommendations. So I see a lot of these questions that we find on our exams. We who have done the PMP exam, you know, the idea is not to solve every problem for the team. And that, that's what this is really just saying. Allow the team to some degree sort themselves out. A project team member deepens leadership acumen by adding or practicing a combination of various skills or techniques. And it goes into a number of bullet points. It's a laundry list of bullet points. Uh, focusing a project team around agreed goals, articulating a motivating vision, uh, seeking resources and support. It goes on and on. Next page says personal character matters as a leader. Projects work best when leaders understand what motivates people. Effective leadership promotes project success and contributes to positive project outcomes. Additionally, business obligations can be fulfilled based on delegated responsibility and authority. By blending styles, continuing scale growth, and leveraging motivators, any project team member or stakeholder can motivate, influence, coach, and grow the project team. Very well said. I like that statement because you've heard me say everything rises and falls on leadership, like my mentor John C. Maxwell said. For those of you keen on knowing more about leadership, I want you to take a minute. Go explore the Project Leadership Institute. Just go on down to... Project Leadership Institute.com. All right. And Brittany knows this firsthand. Brittany, how does it feel to be in the, the Project Leadership Institute? You it having feels, a good time? Yes, it feels amazing. Seriously, guys, it adds so much value. Um, so after you get your PMPs, like definitely consider joining us. Um, it is so helpful in continuing the journey um, after being certified. Absolutely. And that's why I'm really glad. Thank you, Brittany. How, don't you feel excited to see a leadership uh, principal here? I do. I actually <laughs> do. But I, like you said, I like um, the descriptions and the breakdowns in the sixth edition way better. I know. Um, than what they do here. I know you did. I know you did. And, you know, Brittany has been not just, you know, one of our PMP gurus. She's actually come back to help in training. That is a, a sign of a true guru. So, Thank you, Brittany, for weighing in on that one. You're welcome. Right. I guess I guess servant leadership, when you just asked that question too, you didn't say the answer, but I guess servant leader. <laughs> well, let's keep it a mystery. And I'll tell you when we get off the call. <laughs> it's, a, it's a secret. Let's see, did anyone respond on YouTube? I want them to go open up their PEMBOK guides. Okay, I don't think anyone responded. Okay. So let, let's continue along, uh, Brittany. So here we're moving into number seven. Number seven is tailor based on context. So you've got to tailor the project. Oh, makes sense. Uh, it says design the project development approach based on the context of the project, its objectives, stakeholders, governance. In other words, tailor according to the project, right? Each project is unique. Project success is based on adapting the unique context of the project to determine the most appropriate methods for producing the desired outcome. All right, let's go on to our next one, quality. 
build quality into processes and deliverables. That's a no-brainer. So it says project quality entails satisfying stakeholder expectations and fulfilling project and product requirements. Quality focuses on meeting acceptance criteria for deliverables. The reverse of your story card, right? Your user story card. Project quality entails ensuring projects, project processes are appropriate. Yeah, so that's quality. We can talk about quality from a product perspective or from a project perspective. That's what they're saying. All right, the next one is navigate complexity. Continually evaluate and navigate project complexity so that approaches and plans enable the project team to successfully navigate the project lifecycle. So what are they saying in essence? I want, I want to take you to the Agile Practice Guide, page 14, because that's where the Stacy complexity model is. And that's where you begin to see the language of complexity, complex. So we have the complicated space and we have the complex space. So you can have simple projects, you can have projects that are complicated, but you could still use a predictive largely approach, but then you're beginning to use a little bit more agile because they're tiny little components that are all part of the puzzle. And if you follow a predictive approach, you could get complicated work done, but by the time you get into complex, complexity, you got to navigate it with an agile mindset. It says, Complexity is the result of human behavior, systems interaction, uncertainty, and ambiguity. So, Brittany, you might recall that is in chapter three, you know, before integration. Do you recall that complexity topic? A bit. It's a bit hazy now, but yeah, I do remember <laughs> studying yeah. it. Yeah, it, it's in there. It's the end of chapter three, and they, they covered it pretty well. So there's a lot of stuff here that is actually in the sixth edition and this one on navigating complexity and integration within a, a complex environment. It's there in the sixth edition, human behavior, system behavior, uncertainty and ambiguity. Uh, and then we talk about emergent behaviors and um, technology and uh, social media. All this stuff is talked about in chapter three in the sixth edition. All right, the next one is optimize risk responses. And it says continually evaluate exposure to risk, both opportunities and threats to maximize positive impacts and minimize negative impacts to the project and its outcomes. Individual and overall risk can impact projects. This is no different from what we know in the uh, sixth edition. It says responses should be appropriate for the significance of the risk, cost-effective, realistic, agreed to, by stakeholders and owned by a responsible person. All right, again, that is a pretty uh, predictive view because in the world of Agile, we just say team. All right, number 11, adaptability and resiliency. It says build adaptability and resiliency into the organizations and project teams approaches to help the project accommodate change, recover from setbacks and advance the work of the project. So talk, talk about uh, COVID-19 and how certain companies were resilient and others, unfortunately, they've gone down to the basement, never to come back. So the, the whole idea is to be adaptable so that you can survive the changing conditions. Resiliency is the ability to absorb impacts and to recover quickly from a setback or failure. A focus on outcomes rather than outputs facilitates adaptability. All right, we have one more in our principles here, and that's about change. And it says, prepare those impacted for the adoption and sustainment of new and different behaviors and processes required for the transition 
from the current state to the intended future state. There are a number of bullet points, but I'm gonna take the top of the waves here. It says, a structured approach to change helps individuals. And the PMI, they've given you a smattering of change models. This, that is one of the things that I'm really happy about. I like the fact that they have included some of the uh, models, you know, they put some of the models in there for change, the ADCAR model, the one I have coined, the FIPIMS model from the PMI themselves, John Carter's change model. They've also put some information there, uh, Bridges model, pretty much the J-curve based on the Kubler-Ross model. Lots of great stuff further down. So that is one of the areas I got excited about if you watched the video from last night. But the bottom line is that um, enabling change can be challenging and people need structure. People need to understand, you know, what impact the change will have on them. And in fact, that's why we're here today. This is a change, you know, a change session, a, a sense making session for change. Because I know a lot of people are, oh, how am I going to cope? How am I, how I going to start doing this? Well, your body feel wants to do some heavy lifting for you. And that's why I'm here to help you lift. Okay. Lift the seventh edition look at what's under the rock, understand the value, and be able to position your PMO, all right? So that was page 62, and that's the end, 62, actually 60, where we go into the references, and that goes beyond 62 to 67, all right? So now we're going into part two. I know some of you are like, you mean there's another part? Yes. So, so Brittany, did, did you, you of course recognize this, but they, they actually flipped the standard from being at the back of the book to the front of the book. So now we've gone through the principles and that's like the standard. And now we're going to go into what we can call the domains. Okay. Yes. And that's how they have the content outline set up now, I believe with the, with the three different content or the three different domains. Good point, Brittany. So when they say domains, in the uh, PMP exam content outline. Um, if you go to page five of this new PMBOK guide, the domains are different. They're three times the number of domains. Uh, they're nine domains now um, in the seventh edition, yes. So I don't think the exam is gonna reflect these domains, which makes it even more confusing because you got domain, domain, you're like, which domain? So exactly. we've, got, we've got stakeholders, team, and a bunch of others. That, that's what we're going to look at right now. All right. Okay. So let's jump straight in. Part two of the PMBOK guide. Okay. To round up uh, the previous part, this is all of the principles all at once on the screen, okay? We're going into part two, a guide to the project management body of knowledge. So let's have a little drum roll for emphasis as I bring it up on the screen. Remember this has been, you know, pretty ad hoc because this time yesterday very few people were even aware that the PMI was going to pull <laughs> was going to pull this one. Were you surprised, Brittany, to to wake up and find? Uh oh, what did they do? They did announce it was coming down the pike in August. 
So a lot of people were very surprised to find, uh, you know, that it came out earlier. All right, drum roll, part two. Part two, let's go straight into chapter one, okay? Chapter one, part two. It's an introduction. And in chapter one, it first says an introduction to the PEMBOK guide. And here we have, I'll just read it. It says, this section, the introduction, describes important information about the PEMBOK guide 7th edition. It describes the relationship of the PEMBOK guide standard for project management changes to the PEMBOK guide, the relationship to standards plus. And it's broken out as follows. 1.1, structure of the PEMBOK guide. The structure of the PEMBOK guide is project performance domains, tailoring, and models, methods, and artifacts. So it was gonna break this down even further to give you a better understanding and I think it's worth doing. So let me try and do it here. Gonna break it down so you really have a good understanding. Okay, structure of the PEMBOK guide. One, project performance domains. That's one. Two, tailoring. And three, models, methods, and artifacts. So when you talk about how this is broken down, that's it, okay? The structure of the PEMBOK guide, project performance domains, tailoring, and then models, methods, and artifacts, okay? So there are many pieces. This is what could make it a little bit challenging, but you know I'm doing the heavy lifting for you. All right, so, so far we've covered this. Now we're gonna cover 1.2. 1.2 is a relationship of the PEMBOK guide and a standard for project management. It says, work in the project performance domains is guided by the principles of project management as described in the standard for project management. A principle is a fundamental norm, truth, or value. So they're saying that the principles we just looked at should drive the domains we are about to study. Okay? Next section is changes to the PEMBOK guide. It says, this edition of the PEMBOK guide focuses on delivering outcomes regardless of the approach used by the project team. However, project practitioners using the PEMBOK guide also benefit from some level of understanding of how to deliver projects. That's that. And then it talks about the importance of tailoring. Let's go on to the next section, which says relationship to PMI standards plus. So it says information in this guide is further elaborated. Let, let's just go there because I've talked about standards plus. The scene is believing and seen Pictures worth a thousand words. Let's just go on to PMI.org. Let me show you Standards Plus. It's actually not a bad platform 
And uh, Brittany, if you go back into our archives, you will see that this has been uh, talked about in the Project Leadership Institute meetings. But going straight here, we go into uh, learning and events. Let's see if we can find it. What's new? Let's click on what's new. And there's a bunch of things new in the world of the PMI. And we are looking for standards plus. That's it right there. See that? So let's click on standards plus, PMI standards plus, learn more. Standardsplus.pmi.org. You got to register to get in. Let's see if I can log in. Got to log in. And when you log in, you will see the plethora of content. I did find it pleasantly surprising uh, how much content was in here. So they've got a video on definable work versus high uncertainty work, uh, case studies, another case study, managing scope, uh, the beauty of work packages. That's going to be fun to watch or read. Case study determining the desired future state. So they're trying to use, as you can see, the imagery and you know just the layout. It's friendly. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree, Brittany? Doesn't it look friendly? It does. It does. I like it. Yeah, very friendly. Friendly looking. And they've got a bunch of videos, all sorts of stuff here. Techniques for managing dispersed teams, five keys to relationship building, uh, delivering project success with cross-team collaboration. So there's, there's a ton of stuff, just so much. Yeah. Very inviting. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's click on one of these. I like that one with the kids there. Let's click on that. Benefits of stakeholder analysis. Okay, and there you have it. Nice little document for you to, you know, read more about it. And uh, developed by PMI for PMI Standards Plus with contributions from Mohammed El Helay. Helali. Okay, very good. So we've got some individual contributors here, apparently. They've even got the social media like and save, share, you know, so this... This proves to be a rather interesting repository where you can get some additional insights. There's a requirements documentation template. See that? Interesting, good stuff, okay. So this is one of the things I will say right off the bat, PMI got right. This is gonna facilitate learning. Um, a lot of people learn just by browsing uh, a site such as this. I'm picking up some helpful stuff. And the imagery is very welcoming. Good stuff. Agile in action, planning an event during COVID-19. That's going to be fun to read. All right. Okay. So that's uh, PMI Standards Plus, okay? Now you've got an idea about what PMI Standards Plus looks like. Let's jump back in here. So um, the relationship between the PMBOK guide uh, and standard for project management, we've covered that. Uh, changes to the PMBOK guide kind of covered that and we were at relationship to PMI Standards Plus. And Standards Plus, just look at it as an extension of what you have in the seventh edition to help you better understand some of the topics. So it says, PMI Standards Plus offers a dynamic body of knowledge, you've seen it, with real-time access and in-depth information that is aligned to PMI standards, not just the PMBOK guide, by the way and carefully vetted by a panel of SMEs, subject matter experts, representing a wide range of expertise. It also says, 
The digital platform encompasses current and emerging practices and other useful information related to PMI's library of standards. So PMI, well done on that one. Well done, you got that one right. That's one good thing, okay. Let's move on. So chapter three, or I should say chapter two is where more drama unfolds, okay? This is where we now see the replacement, what the replacement of the knowledge areas in the context of uh, the guide to the project management body of knowledge actually looks like, okay? I'm going to leave it up to you folks. You know, you go ahead and decide if this does it for you as far as replacing the knowledge areas, okay? So here we go. We got a boatload of stuff. We got stakeholder, team, development approach and life cycle, planning, project work, delivery, measurement, and uncertainty. So we're going to tackle these one by one in chapter two. Okay. I'm going to reveal these kind of piecemeal as we go through them one by one. All right. So let's go to our next slide. So chapter two starts off with stakeholder performance domain. And it reads, the stakeholder performance domain addresses activities and functions associated with stakeholders. Your PMPs, I don't need to waste time on that. Let's go to the next one. The next one is about the team. And it says, the team performance domain addresses activities and functions associated with the people who are responsible for providing or producing project deliverables that realize business outcomes. Let's take a look at some of the top of the waves here. It says, effective execution of this performance domain results in the following desired outcomes, shared ownership, a high-performing team, and applicable leadership and other interpersonal skills demonstrated by all team members. Okay. Let's go to our next one. The next one is on development approach and life cycle. So let's do a little bit of housekeeping here. Development approach and life cycle. That is number three. Now, you folks already know this, but we've got iterative, we've got incremental, we've got agile, we've got uh, iterative, all that stuff. And just remember that on the exam, for people who you're training, they still need to refer to the agile practice guide, okay? The agile practice guide is going to help you. Speaking of the agile practice guide, you knew I couldn't do a session without asking you a question. So I've got a question to ask you, all right? The question is, what is this image known as? I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it. Think about it. Let me know what you think. Put a chat in the comment box if you're on YouTube and you know what this is.
I don't see a lot of chats. Come on now. Where are my YouTubers? Have you gone for lunch? Let's take a look. No, crickets. Crickets everywhere. No one's answering. All right, the answer to this one is a Stacy complexity model. This is on page 14 of the Agile Practice Guide. It's still worth knowing when we're talking about these development approaches and life cycles, okay? I won't question you any further on that one. Let's move on. Obviously, not, a, not an exciting topic for some of us, huh? Let's move on. Let's go to planning. All right, going over to planning. Planning domain is very, very far away. And um, if I didn't make it very clear, the development approach and life cycle is on page 32. Moving over to planning, this is on page uh, 51. So someone says, Phil, that's a 19-page jump. What on earth, (laughs) to backtrack, what on earth is in development approach and life cycle? Let's read the the high-level topics, okay? They're going to make sense. The high-level topics are deliverable, development approach, cadence, project phase, project life cycle. We could have single delivery. We could have multiple deliveries. We could have periodic deliveries. We could have a predictive approach. We could have a hybrid approach. We could have an adaptive approach. And these are the three talked about for the most part. They really didn't break it down any further like they did in the Agile Practice Guide into iterative and incremental. Instead, those are shown under hybrid in a figure, figure 2-8. And that's where we see a fancy little schematic, which is pretty cool, by the way, um, of iterative and incremental. So what they show here, they show a cycle of feedback and adapt when it is in the iterative stage. And they also show um, the feedback and adapt mechanisms when it comes to incremental. With incremental, you see the build as it is coming to in tiny little bits and pieces. With iterative, you see more like a prototype approach with um, a wireframe or a storyboard uh, moving into um, something that you can actually use to write moving into a mouse and moving into a touch screen. So they got, they got an interesting concept of that. I know some people will kind of have something to say about that page. Because when we talk about iterative versus uh, incremental, the way it is in the PMBOK guide was never well presented. Even the sixth edition, it was never well presented. Instead, you would look at that as being flipped. See? So... That's up for, for, for some discussion and debate, page 37. In PMBOK Guide, the way they present iterative and incremental, it just seems flipped. Because iterative, we know iterative to be one-time delivery, according to the Agile Practice Guide. One-time delivery. Iterative is not frequent small deliveries. No, it's a one-time delivery as it's defined here. Okay, incremental, though, is frequent small deliveries. 
smaller deliveries. So the, the image in page 37 is kind of at odds with the Agile Practice Guide understanding. Instead, we would look at how they presented the information to be reversed between iterative and incremental. But anyway, let's move on. Let's go to planning. I said we we're going on to planning and I did spend a bit more time talking about that. But let's go on to planning. Planning organizes, elaborates, and coordinates project work throughout the project. So here we have estimating, talked about accuracy, precision. They have also put crashing and fast tracking upfront and uh, budget. I find that rather a rather interesting uh, choice of, you know, presenting the information. So um, we have planning variables in one section, development approach, project deliverables, organizational requirements, and things like that. Then we have delivery talked about and then estimating. Okay. And then it goes into um, schedules. Okay. Talks about how to schedule, decompose project scope into specific activities, sequence related outcomes, estimate the effort, duration, people, physical resources. So it's taken estimate activity resources and lumps that together with estimate activity durations. And then it's also lumped in uh, allocating people. So acquire team, um, acquire resources is lumped in here. Uh, pretty much a lot of stuff all in one statement. You go on to page 60, we talk about mandatory, discretionary, external, and internal dependencies. So, so instead, I, I see what they're trying to do here. What they're trying to do here is they're trying to look at planning as one big clump of stuff. And to be quite honest, if you're in the world of Agile, yes, we plan in iterations, we plan in sprints, um, and we don't really go off into planning every single aspect the way we do in predictive. So it seems like they've taken some stuff from different knowledge areas and they've just lumped them, sprinkled them in to different topics here. So the first topic in planning, let me make this very clear. Uh, one, of the, one of the first topics, not the first, under planning you have schedules talked about. All right, the next one in 2.4.2.4 is budget. So let's uh, show that. So we have schedule talked about there. Then we have budget. Uh, then we have, let's see. Did we just get done with everything? I think that was it. Is that all for play? Wow. <laughs> that was quick. Okay, no, that's not all. That's not all. Thank goodness. I was a little bit concerned. Then we have uh, project team composition and structure. So I just say team composition. It's talked about. And uh, for those who are just coming, we're taking a look at the planning section and we're trying to break down what the planning section in the seventh edition is all about. We have schedules, budgets, team composition uh, and structure, team composition and structure. All right, then we have communication 
Then we have physical resources and procurement. Then we have changes, metrics, alignment. These are all the different things they're saying you plan. And then interactions with other performance domains. And then that's pretty much it, check-in results. All right, and I've really spent time here because in our first section, we talked about how planning uh, takes a lot of stuff from the um, knowledge areas and it just presents it differently. And, and that's pretty much what we're seeing here. So these are the subsections of planning, schedules, budget, team composition. So the, the reason why I'm showing it to you like this, since you're already PMPs, right, is so that you know nothing is missing. Instead, it's just a different configuration of how it's presented, okay? Does that make sense, Brittany, what I'm, what I'm saying here? It does. It does. And um, it especially clarified the, because I downloaded it. Oh, good. I looking, yeah, I was looking at the different development and approach life cycles in the depictions they have in here a little... They're a little confusing, <laughs> a little um, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, and they don't mention progressive elaboration um, here. Maybe I need to read it in depth, but I don't see that mentioned here. Yeah, do an electronic search. Did you do an electronic search and look for the word progressive? It might be hiding somewhere. Yeah. I would be shocked if that if that doesn't exist. I'm just <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to shake my head. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's in three point eight under deliverables. It's in 2.1.1.2. The, the, the phrase progressively elaborates. So thank goodness. It's not a lost okay. cause. <laughs> okay. Because okay. I was looking at the, the descriptions of iterative and uh, incremental. Yeah. I was like, hmm. It would have been nice to put it in there. Absolutely. It would have been nice if they had put that word because it clears up so much stuff for people. But I'm really glad you're on, on the call, Brittany, because you're helping other people find stuff that they're looking for. And they are not able to reconcile. So, so well done. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for doing this. It helps me too. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for joining. I wish some of our other friends were here, but I know it's a it's a work day for many people, and they're not able to jump on. All right. So that is going into our next domain. All right. The next domain here is project work. And it says the project work performance domain addresses activities and functions associated with establishing project processes, managing physical resources, and fostering a learning environment. It's kind of new, but I want to look at this as direct to manage project work and many other things. So it says effective execution of this performance domain results in efficient and effective project performance, project processes are appropriate appropriate communication, efficient management of physical resources, effective management of procurement, improved team capability. Re to be honest, really sounds like uh, uh, direct to manage project work. Yeah. All right. So here they talk about 
bid documents, bidder conferences, explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge. So this is really, now I see the bigger picture. This is really executing, right? So they're really giving you a high level idea of how project work is managed from the top down. They talk about competing constraints, maintaining team focus, uh, project communication and engagement, managing physical resources, working with procurements, the bid process, contracting, and then it goes into monitoring new work and changes, learning throughout the project. And then it goes into knowledge management, tacit knowledge and stuff is broken down. We're on page 77 now. Then it goes into interactions with other performance domains. Let's just say integrating. That's really it, integrating. Let's move on to our next one, delivery, the delivery performance domain. The delivery performance domain addresses activities and functions associated with delivering the scope and quality that the project was undertaken to achieve. It says, projects contribute to business objectives and advancement of strategy. Projects realize the outcomes they were initiated to deliver. Project benefits are realized in the time frame in which they were planned. The project team has a clear understanding of requirements and stakeholders accept and are satisfied with project deliverables. So we've got a potpourri of things here. It's very, it sounds very much like scope in a way. So we've got requirement, WBS, definition of done, quality, cost of quality. These are terms you already know. We've got delivery of value. We've got deliverables. And then we've got under deliverables, we've got a sub bullet on requirements. So they go into requirement solicitation, managing requirements, scope definition, scope decomposition, moving targets of completion. And this is a new term, but of course you can infer from the title. In the world of agile, don't we always have moving targets? It says projects that operate in uncertainty and rapidly changing environments face a situation that a good enough for release or done goal may be subject to change. That's really the summary there. And then it goes into quality and then cost of quality, internal failure cost, external failure cost, cost of change, suboptimal outcomes. Now, this is where I have to give my opinion. The content in here might be okay, might be good, but it's very poorly presented. And I think where they missed the boat, and I just have to say it here to realign our thinking, is this, okay? There, there is no way you can take conveniently, think, think about it like this. You got, you got a, a suitcase that has a capability to store uh, square uh, packages. And then you've got another suitcase that is triangular in shape. No matter how you try, you are going to find some difficulty in fitting those rectangular packages into a triangular suitcase. The seventh edition is a triangular suitcase. It's just going to be hard. Sixth edition is, 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 a, is, is a rectangular uh, set of packages. And that's why as we're going through this, um, if you're looking at your, your um, PMBOK guide, seventh edition, you're going to find that it's hard to follow the narrative to a large degree. All right? So the delivery um, chapter, it has a lot of stuff, or section, I should say. All right? It has a lot of stuff. Um, to make this very clear, I want to make this very clear. 
I'm going to put some additional uh, descriptions here. So stakeholder is 2.1, because I, I, I don't want you confused about the numbering. Stakeholder is 2.1, team is 2.2, development approach and life cycle is 2.3, plan is 2.4, project work 2.5, delivery 2.6, measurement 2.7, and uncertainty is 2.8. So we're almost there, almost. Hang in, hang in there with me, all right? So let's go on to the next section here. Measurement 2.7, all right? Good, it's all numbered now. So it says the measurement performance domain evaluates the degree to which the project work done in the delivery performance domain is meeting the metrics identified. So it's, it's pretty much looking at the delivery domain has been executing in some way to a large degree. The measurement domain looks kind of like monitoring and controlling-ish, but it just adds a layer of confusion if you're not, you know, you don't have your wits about you. So what they have here is, It's a, it's a little bit um, it's a little bit draining because you're you're going to be focusing where am I which knowledge area am I you're you're going to try to compartmentalize what you're seeing but there's no compartmentalization here unfortunately to the degree you know it so we've got um, establishing effective measures okay and then it says what to measure and then it says deliverable metrics. And then it says you need to measure delivery, baseline performance, measure your resources. We have earned value talked about here, measure business value, measure your stakeholders engagement. I believe that's what they're saying. It's saying stakeholder satisfaction. Okay, so measure stakeholder satisfaction. So let me, let me give you some guiding bullets so that you don't pull your hair out here. Let me, let me help you. Let me help you. This is going to help. So. What the PMI is saying in this one, we have things to measure, all right? What to measure? What are you going to measure? This is what they're saying. Measure deliverables, okay? Measure your delivery. Measure your baseline performance. Performance against the baseline, right? They have schedule variance, SPI, CPI, CV, all that stuff is here. And we have a fancy little graph. I like the graph from page 101. Um, then we have resources. You're going to measure stuff relating to resources. You're going to measure business value. How do you measure business value? Cost-benefit ratio. I don't know why they always choose to name it differently from what other people call it. We, we've always known it as BCR. My goodness. Okay. Plan benefits delivery compared to actual benefits delivery, ROI, NPV, uh, net promoter score, and, and oh, no, we're going into stakeholders now. So stakeholders, this is the next one. 
And this is where you have the net promoter score, MPS. It says net promoter score measures the degree to which a stakeholder, usually the customer, is willing to recommend a product or service to others. It measures a range from minus 100 to plus 100. A high net promoter score not only measures satisfaction with a brand, product, or service, it is also an indicator of customer loyalty. There are many ways of measuring customer loyalty. Share of wallet is another one that's not mentioned here. There are all sorts of them that you can use to measure how happy your stakeholders are. And of course, we have a mood chart as well. We also have morale on a scale of one to five. I feel my work contributes to the overall outcome all the way to... No, I don't feel appreciated. (laughs) And things like that. We have turnover is another way of finding out, you know, your team satisfaction. All right, moving on, we've got forecasts. And of course, this is where you expect to find ETC, EAC, VAC, TCPI. Thank goodness they didn't throw those ones out. We have regression analysis and we have throughput analysis. This analysis, throughput analysis, this measures or assesses the number of items being completed in a fixed time frame. So talk about Little's Law. You've definitely come across that. If you're looking to learn more about Little Slow, look for my video on it on YouTube. Then we have, how do you present the information? All right, so for those who are just coming, we're talking about measurement, okay? We're talking about how you measure. And part of how you measure, it has all of these topics. What are we gonna measure? Deliverables, delivery, baseline, all this stuff. All right, so what do we measure? all of this stuff. Okay, so think about it like this. What to measure? All of this stuff. And then we're going into presenting the information. So presenting the information, you can do it in the form of dashboards. You've got a pretty little colorful dashboard example on page 107. And then we go into the topic of information radiators, burn down charts, burn up charts, combined burn up and burn down. We go into visual controls, task boards, burn charts, and other types of charts. We go into the Kanban board, and there you see an example of what I was mentioning in Little's Law on page 110, where you can see cycle time, lead time, and it's in this context of Kanban and Little's Law that we talk about um, throughput. All right, moving on to page 111, we're still in this uh, realm of... Uh, presenting the information. So we got uh, story points done. We've got measurement pitfalls. So measurement pitfalls. One of the measurement pitfalls they have here is called the Hawthorne effect. It states that the very act of measuring something influences behavior. Therefore, take care in establishing metrics. Case in point, my buddy Roy, he always laughs about a project he worked on where there was a metric they were using. And the metric was Defects found by the testing team. So what did the testing team do? They were in cahoots with the development team to generate some fake defects. (laughs) Just so the metric could go up. That's the part of the Hawthorne effect. Be careful what you measure. We have vanity metric. A vanity metric is a measure that shows data but does not provide useful information. PMI, why do you put this there? Is this bait? Do you want me to really talk about a vanity metric I'll give you a vanity metric right now. 
All right. I said I was going to behave. Let me move on. Demoralization. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to behave. It's bait. I'm going to behave, Brittany. Don't worry. I'm behaving. All right. Demoralization. It says, if measures and goals are set that are not achievable, project team morale may fall as they continuously fail to meet targets. That's a good one. Misusing the metrics. Regardless of the metrics used to measure performance, there is the opportunity for people to distort the measurements or focus on the wrong thing. That's an interesting one. Confirmation bias, good one as well. As human beings, we tend to look for and see information that supports our pre-existing point of view. And we have correlation versus causation. A common mistake is interpreting measurement data. Um, it says, this is confusing the correlation of two variables with the idea that one causes the other. All right, and then we have troubleshooting performance. Why are we performing the way we are? Growing and improving, interaction with other performance domains. All right, and lastly, it has check-in results. Okay, so um, it says table 2-9 on page 115 identifies the outcomes from effective application of the measurement performance domain on the left and ways of checking them on the right. Okay, that is all stuff that people can read on their own. So let's go over to our final one in the performance domains. Final one in the performance domains. We have uncertainty. It says the uncertainty performance domain addresses activities and functions associated with risk and uncertainty. We all know that risk is uncertainty that can affect our projects. It's uncertainty. As my buddy, the risk doctor says, it is uncertainty that matters. So it's just repeating oneself here. But let's get into it. So it has uncertainty, ambiguity, complexity, volatility, and risk. That's all semantics um, as far as the uncertainty versus risk. So you can read that on page 117. It talks about general uncertainty. I won't go into that. It talks about ambiguity. And now, Brittany, here's what you were looking for on page 120. Progressive elaboration. This is the iterative process of increasing the level of detail in a project management plan as greater amounts of information and more accurate estimates become available. So, so it is there, Brittany. Thank goodness. It's a little. It's a little late, right? They could have. <laughs> a little bit late in the day. Oh my goodness! Oh dear. All right. Let's let's not go there, Brittany. Okay. It goes into complexity, volatility, risk. Uh, talks about threats. Uh, it's got impact and probability matrix. Uh, the product, pretty much, showing you the severity. So they're showing you on page. What is it? page 124, they're showing you um, the risks over a period of time, okay? They're showing you in January what the severity of the risk is in February, in March, and then you can see risk number one, permits obtained, it just tapers off. You see that the severity becomes less and less. On the flip side, number five there, pump capacity, you see that pump capacity, the severity goes from a three to a six to a nine, so what they're trying to say here is keep your eye on the risk over a period of time. This is a very good one that helps people conceptualize how to track risks. Page 124, figure 2-33. And then it goes into opportunities. You know, your, 
your threats are talked about on page 123, your, um, what do you call it, your actions for, for threats, your actions for opportunities are talked about, your risk response actions on page 125. And then it shows you how the uh, risk impacts over a period of time, it, it tapers off. It says on page 126, taking an economic view of work prioritization allows the team to prioritize threat avoidance and reduction activities. So over a period of time, those risks are going to taper off. That's good to know. All right. And that's it for chapter two. I mean, chapter two is a beast. I, I don't know why they just didn't break it down into tinier, or I should say other chapters, because now we've got all the performance domains lumped up into chapter two, but that's okay. It's not about that. Let's move on to our next one. And we're almost done, believe it or not. I talked extensively about the methods, the modes, the methods, models, and artifacts yesterday. So I'll try not to uh, go too much, too much into that. But let's talk a look, take a look about, at tailoring. Tailoring is all about tailoring what you're using. And I won't, I can't say processes anymore. See, I can't say process groups or knowledge areas in this context. I'll just say tailoring whatever you're using, right, to the project. Let, let's read what PMI says here. Page 131, it says, tailoring is a deliberate adaptation of the project management approach, governance, and, pro oh, we can still say processes, <laughs> and processes to make them more suitable for the given environment and work at hand. Within the topic of tailoring, we have the overview, which I'm going through right now. Okay. Then we have why tailor. Tailor because there's too much stuff in the world. And if you try to use everything in the world of project management, you'll crash and burn. So think about the 80-20 rule. Okay. Think about how 20% of your processes give you an 80% return, whatever that looks like. So you've got 49 processes talked about in the sixth edition. Don't do all 49, just do 10 or 11. You get a huge payoff by doing the right 11 the right way to the right degree. Now that may not apply to every project. I know there's a lot of fat on many projects. People are doing far more than they should, but this is a good call uh, to to reality, to tailor. It says, tailoring produces direct and indirect benefits to organizations. These include, but are not limited to, more commitment. Haven't you seen project teams that have tapped out? Uh, project teams have tapped out because you're, you're, you're straining them by doing too much, too, too much process that offers no value. It says, customer-oriented focus, and more efficient use of project resources. Then it goes into what to tailor. Tailor the life cycle and development approach, processes, engagement, tools, methods, and artifacts. Then it goes into the tailoring process. It says, as noted, projects exist in environments that may have influence on them. Prior to tailoring, 
the project environment needs to be analyzed and understood. Tailoring typically begins by selecting a development and delivery approach, tailoring it for the organization, tailoring it for the project, and then implementing it, implementing its ongoing improvement. These steps in the process are shown in figure 3-1. So they've got choose a development approach. In other words, select the initial development approach, tailor it for the organization, tailor it for the project, and then implement ongoing improvement. That's the tailoring process. That's pretty much it. Yeah. All right. And then it goes into a section on tailoring the performance domains. And this is the final one. And it says the work associated with each performance domain can also be tailored based on the uniqueness of the project. I will not go into all of that because it doesn't really align with what you know very well. I would recommend reading it up and then seeing, you know, stakeholder team, they're disjointed. So, you know, all the stuff that we looked at in the performance domains, PMI saying, tailor it. Can I make a comment? Absolutely. I feel like um, the chapter three, the tailoring should have come before chapter two project performance domains, right? Because it's all about telling you, you know, what you need to tailor, why you need to tailor, how you need to tailor and how to move forward with it. But they presented everything else prior to this. And then they're telling you what, I guess, I don't know, in my head. <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I get what you're you know saying. What I mean? Yeah. So in essence, it would be nice to know um, what to look out for for my own unique circumstance, instead of showing me a bunch of stuff I don't need. And then you're saying, but wait, you can actually do away with all this stuff I just showed you and just take a tiny little sliver of it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I totally get exactly. it. You see, you see, Brittany, I, that's why I said I'm going to leave out my personal opinion. I want to go down that alley. I'm going to go down that alley probably tomorrow in another video. But I went down that alley yesterday. I, I have two and a half hours of sharing my unfiltered opinion. That was the very first time I was seeing the seventh edition and I shared that yesterday, but I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, there are many ways that one could have skinned this cat and in the general consensus is, um, well, I know Peter people won't like it. Sorry, take backtrack, forget that. <laughs> there are many ways to cook a dish. How about that, huh? My Peter enthusiasts that are gonna come at me so talking about birds and, and one stone, they don't like it. Talking about skinning anything, they don't <laughs> like it. Talking about eating an elephant, they don't like it. So, I, you know, I got to be, I got to be PC. So anyway, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. So that's it for, for tailoring. Let's move on to the final one. And I really covered this in a lot of detail yesterday. So I'm, I'm not going to go into as much detail today top of the waves about models, methods, and artifacts. Let's go in there. So let's break it down. I'm going to try and go one by one. All right. So here's the summary. All the stuff that you read in the Pembroke Guide 6th edition is somewhat buried in here, maybe about 25 to 30% of it. But there's a lot of stuff that's new. Some of the stuff that they've added is pretty good. I like the fact that they made some attribution to 
some of the originators of the models and they actually for once took a stand on some of the uh, organizational methods or organizational theory we talk about, like, like McGregor is in there. I like the fact they included Hersey and Blanchard in there. Um, I like the fact that you've got the FIPIMS model, the ADCAR model, the John Cotter model. I like that. Thank goodness they put the five process groups in there. You know, so I, I went over this at length yesterday, but let's go very quickly into the overview. It says, this section provides a high-level description of some commonly used models, methods, and artifacts that are useful in managing projects. The terms listed in this section are not intended to be exhaustive or prescriptive. So they've got a model. A model is a thinking strategy to explain a process framework or phenomenon. Method. A method is the means for achieving an outcome, output, result, or project deliverable. Artifact. An artifact can be a template, document, output, or project deliverable. That's the summary. So beyond the overview, let's talk about commonly reviewed, commonly used models. All right. First one, one of my favorites, is the situational leadership model. And this is by Hersey and Blanchard. All right. So they say situational leadership models. And when you get to page 156, you see the very first situational leadership model. Hersey, it's the Hersey Blanchard model, but they say they attribute it to Ken Blanchard. I don't know why they don't mention Paul Hersey there. I don't know. So maybe someone can, can explain that. Then they've got the Oscar model, outcome situation, choices, actions, review. Then they've got communication models, which is well known. And within that, they've got cross-cultural communication, uh, effectiveness of communication channels, and they talk about Alistair Coburn's uh, model. I, I also refer people to just Google Jeff Hodgkinson, who's a PMP, and he wrote a really good paper on understanding communication channels and why we should care about that. He's not mentioned here, but I know it's a good read. And Jeff used to be out of Intel, the Intel organization here in, uh, in Chandler, Arizona. Then we've got golf execution and evaluation and then it goes into motivation models and here we've got hygiene factors we've got intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and they quote the work of daniel pink we've got uh, theory of needs the mcclellan's model achievement power and affiliation drives people we've got theory x theory y and theory z of course you know mcgregor is behind theory x and y and then they mention Maslow, right, seeing theory Z as a transcendent dimension to work where individuals are motivated by self-realization. And then it talks about William Alchie's version of theory Z. So that's an interesting one to look at as well. And then we go into change models. One of my favorite areas in the book now, we have the FIPIMS model, which I've developed a robust curriculum around. This is actually PMI's managing change in organizations. Thank goodness for once they quoted their own work, which is invaluable. So page 161 is a good mention of PMI's gold. Um, ADCAR model, uh, which is well known in industry, you know. Um, so I'll just talk about FIPIM's model very quick. It's formulate the change, plan the change, implement the change, manage the transition and sustain the change. The ADCAR model, 
which is not talked about in managing changing organizations to this degree, or even at all, if I recall, has awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. This really looks more at sequential steps that individuals undergo. Managing change in organizations looks at broad organizational paintbrush strokes for managing changes in organizations. The ADCAR model pays more attention to humans and their perceptions. And then John Carter's eight-step process, another one that I've developed stuff around, curricula around, very good mention here. Um, eight-step process, I'll let you guys go read it and girls as well, go read it. Uh, then we've got the Virginia Satter change model. I'm not very familiar with that one. We've got the William Bridges transition model. Just think about the J-curve and the Kubler-Ross model. And then we go into complexity models, Seinfin framework, the Stacy matrix, which I showed you earlier. Um, and then we go into Tuckman's ladder, forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. Uh, Drexler, Sibet, team performance model, not very familiar with that. Uh, conflict model, uh, which is really the Thomas Kilman uh, instrument, that model, where we take a look at collaborate, compromise, smooth accommodate, forcing, withdrawing, avoiding. They've now um, put a split in between problem solving and collaborating, and they've said confront slash problem solve. It's really semantics in my mind, but there you have it. We now have six instead of five. Uh, if you want to know more about that, look out for my video on conflict management on YouTube. I go into that for about 30, 40 minutes there. Then we talk about negotiation, win-win, win-lose, lose-win, lose-lose, character, trust, and approach. Then it goes into planning, and then we finally get to process groups. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really happy that process groups was thrown uh, in to the pretty much bottom of the stack like a forgotten artifact. But anyway, then we go into the salience model, power, legitimacy, and urgency. And uh, that's pretty much it. So that's commonly used models. And then we go into models applied across performance domains. There's a fancy little table on page 173 that shows you the mapping of models likely to be used. And you know the only downside with this mapping is that people get bent out of shape and start trying to cram it for the exam. Don't do it, it's not necessary, okay? That's page 173. Moving on to the next one, commonly used methods. A method is a means for achieving an outcome, output, result, or project deliverable. So we got these broad strokes, Brittany, this is where we have the tools and techniques uh, pretty much talked about. We've got data gathering and analysis, which goes on for a bit. We've got estimating, we've got meetings and events, and then we've got other methods. And then we've got methods applied across performance domains. Again, that fancy table in the sixth edition, page 686 to 694, has been whittled down into two pages. And we were commenting that that is a good thing earlier. All right, 4.6, commonly used artifacts business case, business model canvas, project brief, a bunch of them, project charter, stuff that you would expect to see, all right? And then it goes into plans, various plans that you would expect to see. In essence, page 89, right? All those tiny little outputs and inputs. Then we've got hierarchy charts talked about, 
Let me backtrack for a second. Okay, plans is 4.6.3. Hierarchy charts like org charts, product breakdown structure, resource breakdown structure, risk breakdown structure, work breakdown structure, stuff like that. Then it goes into baselines like the budget, project schedule, scope baseline, all that stuff. Visual information, affinity diagrams, burn up charts, burn down charts, cause and effect diagram, a CFD, cumulative flow diagram, cycle time, so much stuff. I can't mention them all. And then reports and then agreements and contracts and then other artifacts. So this page, Brittany, this, these pages, we've got three pages showing mapping to performance domains. Again, I feel sorry for those studying because they're going to get bent out of shape thinking they need to cram it. Don't do it. Yeah, this is just wow. I don't because <laughs> it's so well explained in the sixth edition. And I mean, it's just kind of run over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without right. being without being mapped back to um, an expansion on each of these, like earlier in in the guide. Exactly. So, you so get what I'm know, saying? Yeah, what yeah, I'm so saying. Yeah. Students are really gonna be able to <laughs> like, effectively set a study plan. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? And that's why I tell people, seriously, take it from me, stick to your sixth. Stick sixth, okay? <laughs> if you're a trainer, you know what I'm saying, Brittany? If you're a trainer, if you're an educator, you need to give people a comprehensive framework that you can hang things on and build things on. And that's why the PMIs, they didn't say sixth edition isn't relevant anymore. They just said this is additional. But anyway, I'm not going there today. Let's move on. I feel like the seventh should be looked at as kind of like a loose, compacted guide that exactly. you can Exactly. Yeah, you can take it on the road with you, right? Thank but you, you need yep. your big, thick resource dictionary, which is the sixth edition. Exactly. On your desk. <laughs> exactly. And you know what, Brittany? I've told people, people who are really keen on moving their organizations forward. Just be on the lookout for hybridprojectmanagement.com because hybridprojectmanagement.com is going to help people that really want to train this in such a way that people will find value from it. Not all over the place. This stuff is all over the place. You, you need a much more leaner, meaner, coherent breakdown to be able to use it as a model. And that's probably what uh, folks are going to benefit from hybridprojectmanagement.com. Just, just don't forget, in the next few months, you're going to be seeing additional content to help you make sense. Because I, I would hate to see all of this stuff, right? This stuff, including the seventh edition. You know, I'd hate to see it go to waste because folks could very well just be frustrated about it's all over the place. Like, like you're looking at it and you're like, oh, this, yeah, yeah. There's a better way of, of presenting. It's one thing to have good ingredients, but if the if the food presentation isn't great, you ain't going back to that restaurant, I can tell you. And you're not going to say, oh, it tasted good. No, you're going to be like, the food was all over the place, no matter how well it tasted, right? So we're going to help people make more sense out of that. All right. Well, this is it, my friends. We spent another two hours almost going through or one and a half hours going through the Pembroke Guide 7th edition. And I, I've cut out my uh, comments and stuff. But if you haven't watched the video from last night, it's called 
Pembok Guide 7th Edition Live Reaction and Response, PMP Boss Party. Because <laughs> I asked my bosses to come on and comment. And you can find that video on YouTube. If you really mean business in understanding, okay, what has changed? You know, what have they done? Watch that. Okay. Now, before we close, I am going to give you a quick reminder about the major changes. Okay. Major changes. The major changes, the process groups have been replaced by these principles for the most part. The knowledge areas have been replaced by these performance domains for the most part. There's also appendixes, um, glossary and index. And don't forget PMI standards plus the digital content platform. It has some great stuff. We looked at that and very good information for teams to study on their own individually. All right. The next overarching thing I want you to be aware of is the detail in the principles and the performance domains. High level look at the principles. Be a diligent, respectful, and caring steward to create a collaborative project team environment. Effectively engage with stakeholders. Focus on value. Recognize, evaluate, and respond to system interactions. Demonstrate leadership behaviors. Tailor based on context. Build quality into processes and deliverables. Navigate complexity. Optimize risk responses. Embrace adaptability and resiliency. And enable change to achieve the envisioned future state. That's it. Okay? That's it one more time. Give you a better screenshot. Part two, we went into the intricacies of the performance domains. Stakeholder team, development approach and life cycle, planning, project work, delivery, measurement, and uncertainty. Okay? And that concludes our review, my friends, of the PMBOK Guide 7th edition. If you are a PMP, which I hope you are, because you shouldn't be watching if you're not, because I don't want to confuse you if you're getting ready for the exam. The, the purpose of this was to assure you that all the stuff you learned and studied for your previous exams has not gone to waste. What you do need to do from here on out is position yourself as a leader, okay? And share the top of the waves, okay? Feel free to play this video for your firm. They want to watch it to explain the changes, but I don't want you having palpitations thinking, oh, I need to study all over again. No. The people who got certified in 1995 are still adding tremendous value to firms. You don't need to throw out all the great stuff you already know. Instead, like Brittany said, look at this seventh edition guide as a loose leaf companion to the behemoth and its sidekick, okay? When you look at it in that regard, you are not going to throw away your agile knowledge. Honestly, this is a solid, 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 real solid document. There, you know, if I was going to give PMI marks for this one, I'd give them like a 90. If I was going to give them marks for the seventh edition, probably be like a 30. Okay? If I was going to give them marks for the sixth edition, I'll probably give them an 85 or an 80. Okay, so 
that is my perspective. You have yours. Don't begrudge me for sharing my perspective. You go create your own video. There need to be more voices talking about this stuff. Too many people hiding under a rock. Oh, I don't want my colleagues who are in the development team to be mad at me. Come on now. Come on. We talk about leadership in the seventh edition. Step up to the plate. Be a leader, right? Lead your PMO. Lead your organization. Let them know nothing has changed except our attitude needs to be agile. That's the story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you very much for joining me. If you've got any questions, let me know. Brittany, any final comments that you'd like to share? Nope. I just want to reiterate, um, if you have previous editions, make sure you use those as the correct guides and just reference this whenever you need a quick answer on the go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. Absolutely. We got one more. Um, Reginald says, I see it. So not much has actually changed. Just switched around. Very, very correct, Reginald. It's, it's been whittled down and switched around. <laughs> whittled down, switched around, uh, which can put your head in a twirl. But you've got this video that's going to help. Um, Mahesh says, hi, what I heard is till December 2021, exam will be based on PEMBOK 6 only. Is this correct? That is my sneaking hunch that the, major ch the changes have already come. Okay? Anything that's going to change in my mind is going to be so minuscule because the changes are already here. We've seen them already. Okay? I wouldn't go off and <clears throat> start reading the uh, seventh edition, you know, like your exam tomorrow is going to be based on. No, don't do that. Don't. In fact, don't read the seventh. Don't read it. Enough said. Thank you very much. I'll see you folks hopefully very soon because there will be another video where I share my true opinion once again on the seventh edition. You take care. Bye for now.